Millennials. Baby boomers. Millennials. Baby boomers. Millennials. Baby boomers. Baby boomers. Welcome to Bridges Podcast. I'm Erin Shaw, and I am here with my mother, life transitions expert, author, speaker, and radio personality, Paula Shaw. Hello. Hello, mother. (laughs) And I am here with my beautiful daughter, who is an author, musician, and entrepreneur. Guilty as charged. (laughs) And probably one of the most creative people on the planet. Oh, that's very kind. Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed to have her helping me with so many of the creative choices I'm making these days since I have a new radio show coming up. That's right. And, and do you want to tell everybody about I that? do. Let's tell them that it's going to be called Change It Up Radio with Paula Shaw, yeah. Life Transition Expert. We're very excited and it's going to be broadcasting two days a week on KCBQ <laughs> AM 1170 here yep. in San Diego. And then podcasted so you'll also be able to hear it on all the podcast platforms. We're very excited. She's mm-hmm. just taking over the airwaves. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> but today we are actually here to talk about something that we did yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, which was we we attended the March for Our Lives. Yes, we did. So we're actually uh, we're broadcast. We'll be broadcasting this on Monday, but today is Sunday mm-hmm. as we're recording, and we went yesterday, and so, it was pretty pretty wonderful. I was just thinking, honey, just in case. Anybody doesn't know what the whole purpose of that was and, and the origin, maybe give them a little information about it. Yeah, so March for Our Lives uh, initiative was something that was spearheaded by uh, a group of students from Parkland, Florida, uh, from Stoneman Douglas High School, who you may have seen um, in the media in the last few weeks. There was a shooting last month there, and 17 students were murdered. And uh, these students just said, enough, we are, we are done. We're not going to sit passively by. We may not all be able to vote yet, but we can certainly make our voices heard. And so they started this movement. And a few weeks ago, there was a national walkout day where students walked out all over the country to protest gun violence in America and around the world, but obviously predominantly the issue is here in the States. And yesterday, uh, March for Our Lives, uh, the the main march was in D.C., and then there were several others uh, actually all over the world, they said, spanning every continent Mm. but Antarctica, which is pretty cool. Major cities, uh, Paris, Tokyo, I heard, I'll have to look up all these specifics. London, I think, a lot of the big ones in Europe. Yeah, but they were all over the United States, including um, in New York, Chicago, New Orleans, Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, and we attended the uh, Encinitas March, which was a little smaller, but still, I think they said 1,200 people came out just in Encinitas alone. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Yeah. And it was... Over 200,000 in D.C., they said. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and and when we saw it on TV... That whole... um, The streets were just flooded. Oh, yeah. That whole area in front of the White House was amazing. But I I would love to just talk for a minute about what it was like for me. Yeah, she was a little emotional. I already getting (laughs) in my... (laughs) We should have got a box of Kleenex today. What I I was saying, really, the whole time, I was holding back my tears because... Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. It's, It's so beautiful 
when you see human beings stand for something. Yeah. And in my youth, in the 60s, of course, you know, we were marching against the Vietnam War and, you know, there were, there were big things going on then. Martin Luther King was leading marches to change the way that minority people were treated in this country. In, in many ways, it was such a vibrant, exciting time to be alive. And I didn't get to participate in the Women's March earlier this year. Last year. Or last year. Well, I guess they did another one. But this, this march was incredibly moving because there were so many children there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say this for the people of, well, I don't think it was just Encinitas people, all of North County, San Diego, and then more South County, they probably went downtown to that march. Mm-hmm. We had several marches and one out in Escondido. So San Diego was certainly doing its part. But <clears throat> the parents that we were standing around were so conscious and explaining to their children what the signs that people had meant, you know, why people were doing this. And the children were so into it. I mean, I really feel like they understood at least the concept of what we were marching for yesterday. And as we marched down the streets, people driving by honking and supporting us and people at the restaurants and shops cheering. And it was, it was a major emotional experience for me. Yeah. And I was so happy to be sharing that with my daughter because quite honestly, if you hadn't been here, I probably wouldn't have gone because I was thinking the parking will be a nightmare. There's going to be so many people and this and that, but it actually wasn't a nightmare at all. No, it was, it was great. We found good parking, a pleasant walk to get to the park where everybody was assembling. Mm-hmm. But the Lots energy. Of nice people out. Yep. The energy of it was so beautiful. And lots of boomers. That surprised me too. Mm-hmm. And even signs like one said, now you've pissed off grandma. Yeah. And um, the picture of Trump on it. Yeah. So there were a lot of wonderful signs. People thought of such clever and and important things to say on their signs. Yeah, I loved all the books over bullets or fear has no place in schools. Um, You know, there was one I saw on the internet that said high school sucks enough without guns. Oh, I loved high school, but I know not everybody did. Tell Um, them about the one you created, honey. Oh, well, this was a masterpiece. I did a, a play on a it was a Game of Thrones joke. So for anyone who's a Game of Thrones person who remembers season six when Cersei did her walk of shame and the, the Septa walked behind her with her bell and just shame, shame for like, <laughs> you know, 10 minutes. And uh, so I, I printed out a couple pictures of her and put them on my sign and put shame on the NRA. So that was my sign. It was great. Can we put a picture of that on our website? Sure. We'll link the... We'll oh, I think that would be great. Because I took a picture of Erin holding that sign up. She looked like Norma Ray in that <laughs> movie with Sally Fields. Just standing there holding her sign above her head. My favorite sign of the day and uh, not safe for work if you're listening was... <laughs> Uh, it was a picture I saw on Instagram of an older lady in a wheelchair, and her sign read, Honey, your gun doesn't make you look like you have a bigger dick. 
Or no, you're silent. Hang on. It was, honey, your gun doesn't make your dick look bigger. It only makes you look like a bigger dick. <laughs> I thought, I found me from the future. <laughs> there I am. That was a grandma with sass. I yeah. like that too. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it was a really cool experience. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't had a chance, go online and look up Emma Gonzalez's speech from the DC mm-hmm. March. And she has been you know one of the main faces from parkland of this movement and she is just fierce she is a spitfire she is not to be messed with she is a force to be reckoned with. she is an absolute force to be reckoned with and Mm. i love her spirit i love i mean i feel so terrible that a, a teenager is having to be the face of this movement like we were talking last night about how you know the older generation, I mean, not even older, like my generation, like Gen Y and Gen, you know, Gen Y millennials and Gen X, like we were all pumped up during the 08 election when Obama was running for president. Mm -hmm. That was a great time to really like go out and make your voice heard and, and, you know, rock the vote, so so to speak. But then after, you know, eight years of Obama being in office with just absolute, you know, so much obstruction from the GOP where it was just maddening, like things that should have been so easy to compromise on. You had just, you know, senators who were like, "Mm, our number one goal is to unseat the president. It was like, really? Shouldn't your number one goal be to serve your constituents? Mm -hmm. No, you're going to act like children tantruming on a playground. Awesome. So glad to be part of this. (laughs) Um, So for eight years to experience, you know, the Obama administration trying to do so much good and trying to like, really walk the center of the aisle, like to try to bring people together and unify people and to just see that met with such vitriolic obstruction on the right was so frustrating. I think for Democrats and a lot of moderate Republicans who were like, mm-hmm. uh, what do you mean you don't want to like, like people who were against Obamacare, but had voted for Mitt Romney. And it was like the same plan that he instituted in Massachusetts when he was governor. It was like exactly the same, Mm. but people were like, no, this is bad because it's Obamacare. I mean, it was just insane. You all know. So to, to experience that for eight years and then to see that culminate in the election of Donald Trump, Mm. I mean, I'm tired, you know, like politically, Mm. like my Mm. generation, we're exhausted now. And I think there was just a lot of apathy after the election when Trump won and people were just kind of like, screw this, I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've lost faith in the political system. It's, you know, everybody is being bought by big, you know, major corporations and, and dirty political money. And it was just so disheartening. And so then to see the spirit of these teenagers that are like, mm. well, we're not tired Like, we're fired up, and we haven't even gotten to the voting booth yet, and I'm so excited for these midterm elections now because Mm -hmm. those kids are headed to the polls. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a lot of gun initiatives on the ballot, gun control initiatives on the ballot, which will be so amazing because it's really just time. Um, An overwhelming majority of Americans believe in universal background checks and that assault-style weapons should not be in the hands of civilians. I mean, just yesterday there was a really great PSA video that was a lot of um, retired military personnel that were like, you know, telling their names and their ranking and and, uh, what branch of the military they were in and what their weapon, the weapon they were given when they were serving. And they all said, 
I would not want anyone but military or law enforcement to have these kinds of weapons. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you could buy these at a sporting goods store is just insane, I think, to us and a lot of people around the country. And and a lot of people who still support the Second Amendment. I mean, I if you want to have like a pistol in your house to defend your family and you, you want to deal with the ramifications if your child gets hold of that gun, that's your business. You know, if you get a safe and you're a responsible gun owner, fine. But no angry hormonal teenagers should be able to get their hands on mm. an assault rifle. It's Absolutely. Just, it's just insane. So that was a very circumventous way of saying that the energy of these teenagers is so refreshing because they're not disheartened and jaded, disheartened and jaded and, and tired and angry and mm -hmm. frustrated. They're like fired up and ready to go. And that, as we were saying yesterday, is the gift of youth and youthful, younger generations because they bring that energy and that spirit when a lot of people have experienced disappointment. They're not, mm -hmm. you know, they're not so jaded and disappointed that they're ready to fight, which is what we need. Well, and clearly they're grieving, you know, yeah. clearly. I mean, even as she was giving her, Emma, her speech, Emma was crying. You yeah. know, there were tears coming down. And when she, but I'll tell you the moment that blew me away. And Should we describe what? Such it, guts. Yeah, I'm going to okay. say that. Yeah. Um, at, toward the end of her speech, almost the very end, she did this, this, she started saying the names of each of the students who were killed. All 17. And how they would never either like, you know, play hockey or you know, lead the football team or go to the dance with so-and-so. Or bitch about having to go to chemistry or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. So talked about these different things they would never do again. And then just named each of the rest of the names. So-and-so will never. So-and-so will never, you know. And then she stood there silently for... Like three minutes. No, it was six minutes the and whole, the amount of time. But that was when she started speaking all the way to the end was the six minutes and some odd seconds. Oh, was that what it was? Yeah. Uh. So she spoke for like three minutes and named all the people. And so she basically started a six minute and whatever, the six and change mm. timer when she came on the stage. I see. So after she spoke everyone's names and kind of said her piece, then for the remain remaining duration of that, whatever was left of the six minutes... She just stood there in silence with yeah. just tears streaming down her cheeks. And and there was no explanation for it. So it was so fascinating to watch how people responded. Some of them started trying to chant, but then that died out. Others stayed just absolutely silent and fixed on her. Others started to clap and cheer. But And it was so interesting to see her... Just unwavering silence. She just she, held that audience in mm -hmm. the palm of her hand. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there was a point where it was total silence. You could have heard a pin drop. Yep. Yeah. 200,000 people and there was no noise. And everybody was almost holding their breath to see what would come. And to me, I don't know if someone advised her to do that, if that was her idea. I think that's all her. She, that was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. Yeah. And a, just in her a public face address. was so, her whole vibe was just so like, you're going to wait. You're and, all going to wait now while I mm -hmm. hold you in silence. And, you know, like, and nobody fought her really on it. You no, know? but nobody, it was because her motivation was beautiful. It wasn't yeah. like, you're going to wait. It wasn't right. like that. It wasn't like, no, it was a, very serene. I'm going to run this show now. Sure. No, it was her being present to the tragedy she had experienced. 
And you could see it in her face. She was thinking about that day. She was thinking about the names of the kids she just had said. Mm-hmm. And she was present to it. And what it was powerful. So often, you know, especially as, as a grief therapist as I am, I it's hard to get people to be present to what they're really feeling. Right. They'll make jokes or they'll keep jabbering or they'll do things to try to... Um, like diffuse it. Diffuse it, exactly. But to just sit with it and yeah. feel it is so important to healing, but people are so reluctant to do that. And she brought that experience to that mall yesterday, you know? Yeah. She was present to it, and so you were present to it with her. And in looking at the faces of people in the crowd, you could see a lot of them went right to that, especially the the, ki- the kids, mm-hmm. the teenage kids they were showing. They were really present to this tragedy. Yeah. And it's just, it's to me, it's just unthinkable that so many children are having to deal with this kind of PTSD and trauma mm-hmm. from having their schools become crime scenes, you know, and that's what is so incensing. And I think for me, it was like when nothing changed after Sandy Hook, I just wanted to throw my hands up and be like, nothing's ever going to change. Mm-hmm. Because if if little children being murdered, you know, four and five-year-old preschooler, or not preschoolers, but elementary school mm-hmm. children, if that isn't going to sway some of these politicians who take, you know, who accept donations from the NRA. Like, what will? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see that this is now, these teenagers in, from, you know, Florida and that are unifying other teenagers to come and make their voices heard. It's astounding how much these kids even know about assault weapons, like mm. all the research that they've done. But it's just so heartbreaking to me. Like, it's it's equal parts heartbreaking and and invigorating and inspiring. It's 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 inspiring that they're standing up for themselves, and it's so wonderful to know that that's the future. Is like these kinds of kids, but it's heartbreaking to me that it's taken these teenagers taking things into their own hands for thing for you know things to be set in motion and and shifts to start being made. Mm-hmm. You know, one of these Parkland teenagers called out Marco Rubio, who's you know a senator, senator, congressman, senator. In Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, and basically just called him out on social media. It was like, when are you going to stop taking donations from the NRA? Mm-hmm. And you know, that really, truly, the NRA me- members of the NRA, and they were saying this. I watched an interview with the kids, and they were saying, you know, members of the NRA who are people who are you know gun enthusiasts or gun owners or hunters, sportsmen, whatever it is, they're saying, you know, we don't think that NRA members are the problem, but it's the NRA themselves who are to blame, you know, who, who donate money to political campaigns, because then the gun lobby controls that little, this little section of political discussion. And one of the most fascinating things that, you know, you can research if you want to know more, but I'll sort of give you um, a paraphrasing, paraphrased version of it. But when Obama was in office, you heard so much from the NRA and the right about how Obama was coming for your guns. Obama's going to take away all the guns. Oh, yeah. But then when you actually looked at how Obama was rated as a president in terms of gun safety, he was he got like Fs across the board. Mm. Like Clinton and I think Bush, dub, first Bush, Herman Walker, had better ratings about gun safety than Obama did. 
So Obama was like never trying to take away anybody's guns. I think he was just calling for common sense things like, hey, if you need a fingerprint to get into your phone, how come you don't need a fingerprint to get into your gun? Amen. You know, just things that were kind of like obvious. But there was so much push from the NRA and from the GOP to say that Obama was coming for your guns. So guess what happened? Gun sales went through the freaking roof. Mm. And so to me, the people who were manipulated by that, who then went out and bought guns, it's like they didn't even get that they were just being like suckered Mm -hmm. into spending more money, which was going straight into the pockets of these people who are then influencing politicians. So the fact that that now we have teenagers who are, and not just teenagers, I mean adults alike too. There was a, when there was a school shooting, um, when was it? Maybe last fall? I can't remember. But Jimmy Kimmel went on his show and he listed all the members of Congress that take donations from the NRA and put their faces up for people to see mm-hmm. and was like, these are the people, you know, these children's blood is on your hands. Mm-hmm. So it's really, I think it's really a good positive mm-hmm. thing that we're calling bullshit on this because, you know, the majority of Americans believe in in common sense gun laws. And so I hope that things start to shift and it will be really, really interesting to see what happens in the midterm elections. What What is the ultimate goal that the kids are shooting for? What Are they asking for something specific? Yeah, they're asking for universal background checks and essentially reinstating the assault weapons ban, which is what President Clinton did. Mm. And I think ironically, when President Clinton was in office after the assault, I don't actually have to look this up, but what I believe I remember correctly is that mass shooting numbers were down when Clinton was in office because there was an assault weapons ban. And then George W. Bush over, overturned oh, that he did. in office. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So, mm. you know, people want to talk about the Second Amendment, and I love having this conversation with people because they're like, Second Amendment. And I want to well, say, well, then you get your musket. Yes. <laughs> because, Remember the sign we saw yesterday? Right. Muskets didn't fire 950 rounds per minute. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they say, you know, 21st century weapons, 18th century laws. Yeah. I mean, you know, the founding fathers couldn't have even conceived of an AR-15 when the Second Amendment was written into Mm -hmm. law. And at that time, we had broken away from England, and we wanted to ensure that if a government tried to rise up and overtake the people, that they would have the power of a well-formed militia. But that is not what we're dealing with anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whenever people want to argue Second Amendment, I want to say to them, okay, you get your complimentary musket and then fuck off. Right. You know, like, you don't get anything else. And didn't they have to load those with gunpowder? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it took, you couldn't fire more than 10 rounds. You know, by the time you'd kill two people with a musket, everybody else would have run out of the building. Yeah. So <laughs> when we talk about these high-power assault weapons that can just mow rows of people mm. down, uh, yeah, it's just really... Really despicable. So you know, I wonder. I wonder if anybody's done any studies on is one of the the precursors or one of the conditions that have led kids, these disturbed kids, to doing this kind of thing. Is it because of the violent video games that they play that have lowered their threshold for what's horrifying? Um, there has been some discussion of that, but you know. There are plenty of healthy people who play video games that don't mm-hmm. think about murdering people in mass. So I don't know if it's... I mean, I just kind of feel like it can't be a good idea to put that into anybody's head. No, 
I think, well, you know, yeah, I think horror films and, you know, violence and, uh, yeah, I think those are definitely damaging. I'm, I'm not really one that is in favor of any sort of, any kind of violent horror movies, especially movies where men are killing women. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a whole, this is sort of a tangent, but there was a study done about, um, there was a, a, a period in the late 90s where there were a lot of like teen slasher movies that were coming out. Like I know what you did last summer, oh, screen yeah. movies and stuff. And they were saying that they depicted these male murderers killing women. Mm. But prior to the murdering of these women, they would show these women like covered in water. So like you could see their nipples or they were like scantily clad or whatever. And so these men that were watching these films were then becoming aroused while they were watching a man Ooh. violently like killing or harming a woman and so yeah i think there's no place for that and violent video games where people are like shooting hookers and stuff mm -hmm. i don't really think we need that in the world but that's a broader discussion and then that starts to talk about censorship and mm -hmm. that's a topic for another day um but i think a lot of uh, yeah i don't know i mean we did talk about how it is males that are are pulling the trigger in these mass shootings. They are, are you know, I think overwhelmingly perpetrated on, upon by men. I don't know if that's the correct grammar, but whatever. They're the perpetrators. Of, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's men. And I think there is a lot of confusion. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that, you know, as women are starting to come more, become more comfortable in their power and we're seeing more equality in the world and in the workplace... I think there is a, a percentage of men that are sort of overwhelmed by this change, mm -hmm. this rapid shift, and they don't really know where they fit in or how to be masculine right. or what their place is. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, a lot of a lot of that is coming out in, in violent ways and aggressive ways. And so I think the bigger conversation here, other than just gun control and common sense gun laws, is, is uh, what do we do about these men that are feeling so frustrated or scared or left behind or confused that they're resorting to violence and aggression. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that that also becomes part, continues to be part of the conversation that, you know, these are mass shootings are predominantly, um, caused by white men. Wow. And it's because as a demographic, you know, white men controlled what 99% of the world at a certain point, And now it's more like 80, 88. Mm -hmm. So women and minorities and, and, you know, gay men are coming in and taking their rightful place as they should. Mm -hmm. And I think you have a lot of straight white men that are very angry that they're losing control. And like we were watching a video this morning on refinery 29 where the women were like, Hey, welcome to the pissed off club. Like yeah. welcome to how we've been feeling for mm -hmm. decades and decades. But you know, we're, we're equally angry. Like you don't have to take it out on us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. That's a conversation I think for another day to talk about violence in the media or, or male aggression overall. And maybe it would be interesting to have a, a, a male guest on to talk about that. At some yeah, point. I'd love to do that because I'd love to hear a man talking about what it feels like to be a guy today with, you know, a lot of fear out there because of the harassment stuff and time's up and all of that going on. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and a certain disillusionment. You know, they grew up thinking it was supposed to be a certain way. They were supposed to be able to earn enough money to provide for their families while their wives took care of the kids. That was a little bit more traditional when, when I was growing up. But even so, you know, now it's almost impossible for a family to survive without both people working. Mm -hmm. And 
a lot of women want to have a career yeah because they've you know they've got these great brains and great ideas and they want to get out there and have their impact on the world too well and it begs the question about what what is it in certain kinds not kinds certain kinds of men what flavor um <laughs> Because there are plenty of men that are very comfortable with that. I mean, I know guys that are like, oh, I'm happy to be a stay-at-home dad. My wife can work. This is great. Mm -hmm. So it, it begs the question, the men that are feeling angry or scared or overwhelmed by this change, like what is it going on for them that differentiates them from other men that are like, yeah, everyone should have an equal place at the table. Why mm -hmm. are we even arguing about this? So I don't really know if there's been a lot of research done on if it's a cultural thing or it's a, a mental state or it's um, just like a, a dem, um, culture, not what's the word I'm looking at, like socioeconomic thing or if it's um, locational or whatever it is. Like mm -hmm. I'd be curious to see the statistics on the type of men that are angry about this, about, you know, minorities and women and gays having an equal seat at the table. Like what is it in them overwhelmingly as a majority that, is making them so fearful. Like, you know, you, there was that march in Charlottesville where you had all these angry white supremacists and KKK members with torches that were yet screaming, Jews will not replace us. And, you know, being oh just a this angry mm. mob of angry white dudes. And it was like, what are you all so scared of? Like, what is going on for you as a demographic mm -hmm. that you're so angry that other people are allowed to play, kind of? Like, that elitist attitude that, like, I don't want to share. It's like... Were you all just spoiled children that weren't mm -hmm. encouraged to like share your your bucket and pail in the mm -hmm. sandbox or like what? Yeah. So I'd be very <laughs> interested to see what it is amongst uh, violent, aggressive white men presently that is you know uniting them as a group or and connecting you know, them. What would be also interesting would be to see the stats on the educational level, because to me it's just you know it's hard to even imagine. That somebody goes through college and has, you know, all that coursework, looking at the world, looking at history, looking at life and all that, and could still come from this perspective you're describing. Probably depends on the school, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember knowing people at USC that were members of young Republicans who thought it well, was a good idea true. to vote for George W. Bush for second term. Yeah. Where I think a lot of people were like, are you nuts? <laughs> so I think it depends. I think a lot of it's probably... Um, locational you know like mm -hmm. where you where are you from and what's the culture of your state and your city and I don't know but you know I mean I've, I lived in the south for three years and I knew a lot of guys that were perfectly happy to have their wives and girlfriends be at the same be at a level playing field with them so sure I don't know I wonder I, I sometimes wonder if maybe there's a history of violence and aggression in their family or if they're mm -hmm. you know children who were had abusive fathers sure or you know, something like that, or were abused as children, or maybe were bullied, and so then they mm -hmm. become bullies. You know, oh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to Google this because yeah, now I really have, need to there know. have to be some psychological issues for sure. Yeah. So um, anyway, well, now we're sort of getting into a new topic, so we'll have to put this one on the table. Yes, we'll we come will. back for it. But come back for another show. Another show, <laughs> but yeah, this the march was just really beautiful. I'm sure it will be the first of many, and you know. As I've said, the silver lining of the Trump administration is people have been coming together in big numbers, and there is a lot of unity we're seeing yes. um, that's come out of it, and that makes me happy because the initial knee-jerk reaction, I think, after the election was you saw a lot of fear and hatred popping up, and now to see people coming together, you know, a couple, of, well, a year and a half later, uh, I think there's some hope. 
So. And it reminds me, in closing, of a Bible phrase that I love, and that is, and a child shall lead. Oh, yeah. And here we have these children who are wounded and angry and scared and grieving who are, who are leading us to do what's right. Yeah. And I think that was a really beautiful thing. I will be very excited for, like, the 2030 election when Emma Gonzalez runs yeah. for president. <laughs> She's got my be, vote. Maybe she'll be the first woman president. Well, hopefully mm-hmm. not the first, but maybe one of many. Mm-hmm. So thank you for tuning in. I know this was a pretty intense topic. So <laughs> next week we are going to change it up ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be talking about... Um, your history not being your destiny. We have a fabulous guest on our next show, Dr. Colvi Kaur, who's a, a good friend of ours and who is a leading, pioneering scientist in the field of epigenetics. And she is going to share... genetics. And genetics. Mm-hmm. And she's going to share some really amazing stuff about ancestral trauma. So we're so, so excited to share that with you guys next and week. And this is not just anybody, guys. She was a top-level researcher at, at Oxford. Oxford. And she was brought to the U.S., under the title, An Alien of Extraordinary Ability. And she's our BFF, and so we feel very privileged that yeah. we know her. We're so excited. So please tune in next week for that. And again, connect with us on social media. If you like what you're hearing, we'll post a picture of my rally sign uh, <laughs> at Podcast Bridges. And you can find us on our website, bridgespodcast.com. There is uh, information there about us and our backgrounds and why we're here and, and why we'd love you to listen to us. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts now as well as SoundCloud, so subscribe, check in on us there. And please share. And share, share with your friends. And you can connect with us via our website if you want to send us an email, any topics you would like to hear discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you would like to come on as a guest to our show, if you are in the LA or San Diego area or you have the means to connect with us on Zoom, mm-hmm. we would love to hear from you, particularly mothers and daughters yes. uh, that are working together or teaming up in any really cool way. Um, please, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Great idea. Yeah. And we look forward to seeing you all. Or having you Having you us. hear us. Yes. <laughs> we're we're seeing you hearing us later. We're seeing you in our hearts and minds. <laughs> <laughs>